There's a general tendency for people to desire to fit in, to want to be on the inside of systems and institutions. The drive to be in the in crowd or on the team is so embedded in the socialization process that the idea of being an outsider often becomes associated with something undesirable. But many times people who come into a situation with an outsider perspective see things more clearly and can come up with an alternative solution to a problem. That was the case with Rory San Miguel, the CEO of Propeller Aero, whose outsider perspective led to innovation in the construction and surveying industries. We're trying to just provide a simple alternative to traditional surveying, and we did. And now as a result, we work really closely with surveyors. We're credible in the world of surveyors, and we help surveyors deliver all this data to their teams and do it in an easy way. It is an outsider's perspective that has ultimately brought accurate drone data to a really wide audience. If a person is so immersed in an industry, in that industry's typical procedures, it can be hard to have that distance to look at a problem differently. An outside vantage point can help to provide that broader view to see the landscape of the issue more clearly. It also allows a safe distance from entrenched power so outside-the-box solutions may be offered up without fear or reprisal. The shame of potentially being wrong and therefore ostracized can be a real inhibitor from an inside position. On the other hand, if a person or a company is already on the outside, they have less to fear if they're wrong and more to gain if they're right. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Rory describes his journey from starting out as a college student curious about making drones to becoming the CEO of a 3D drone mapping and data analytics solution company. He also chats about how a Frisbee in a pizza box were the unlikely beginnings to transforming how surveying is done for the construction industry. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have a special guest, the CEO of Propeller Aero, Rory San Miguel. Rory, welcome to the show. Hey, Abbott. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Hey, listen, I appreciate you joining us. We did some homework on Propeller Aero. Seems extremely fascinating. Can't wait to dive into it. But before we dive in and let me butcher things, why don't you tell our audience what is Propeller Aero and what does it do? Yeah, sure. So we're a drone mapping business. We help construction sites, quarries, mines, and landfills uh, kind of capture a full 3D model of their site and then compare how they're they're going in regards to the earth moving. So big pieces of iron you see on the site moving material around. We help our customers tell how much they moved, how fast they're moving it, when they're going to finish, essentially progress and productivity for, for all of their earth moving. So I got to ask a question because obviously mining existed well before drones or anything could capture the footage in the air. Why is this data necessary or how does it help? Because I feel like surely they must have done something to calculate how long it was going to take to finish the job. I'd love for you to explain what it used to be like and how drones and propeller aero have has improved this process. Yeah, totally. To be honest, like it's it's the story of technology evolving a really specific field in these industries. And the field is surveying. So surveying and, and some people say surveillance. It's not surveillance, it's not spying. It's actually trying to figure out the sort of topography of the land. And surveying has been around since construction began, since mining began. It's essentially where am I in the world is like yeah. the practice. Um, and surveying and surveyors have had many techniques to use. And so drones and sort of what we can do with propellers is really just the latest technology to survey. 
but there's been technologies before. So like like you asked, I mean, before drones, there was just GPS. Have you ever driven down a highway and seen a person holding a stick with a little kind of, you know, mushroom on top of the stick? It's like a little rectangular object. Exactly. It's on like what appears to be a tripod. It doesn't look like a really big or fancy piece of equipment, but it's but it's not quite a camera. I can tell that it's not a traditional camera. It's not a camera, and it and it's probably a sixty or seventy thousand dollar instrument to measure precise <laughs> angle, right? So what you do is you line, you, you put like a prism, a glass prism, you know, a kilometer away or a mile away, and you shoot that little device on the side of the road with the, the viewfinder. And it can measure the angle and by figuring out the angles, it can measure height. And that's kind of one of the technologies that was that existed before. And then even before that, there are obviously analog systems and the way the US is actually laid out from east to west. The, the grid system of the US was done by surveyors in an analog fashion before there was any sort of digital technology. So, so essentially, to answer your question, surveying has been around for forever and surveyors have been they've driven this technology um, on the work site and they've actually brought a lot of these new technologies in. And so Propeller, like I said, it's just the latest progress tracking and surveying solution. So give us an idea of how using drones and software or artificial intelligence, I'm not exactly sure how you're doing this, is improves the process. Give us an idea of what does it take to survey the land, but without these tools and what's it like with these tools? Okay, it is, it is wild. Let me explain. It is wild. <laughs> yeah. So the old way was walking around a site with a GPS on a, on a pole, right? And you're putting the GPS in the ground. And each time you put in the ground, you kind of press a button on a little tablet and it records the position and it knows the height of the pole. So it subtracts the height of the pole down to the ground where that, where that spike is. And that forms the basis of like this kind of, you know, this series of points that you then turn into a surface and that becomes the topography, right? Yeah, that sounds terrible. So you're walking around and like every couple feet, you're taking this measurement. You know, dirt, dust, heat, all that stuff. And it's going to take you, you know, whatever the metric is, let's say per 50 acres, it takes you half a day, right? Like it takes time. And then wow. of course, wherever you don't press your stick, you're not getting a point. So you don't know the elevation. You're kind of, you're doing all this interpolating and guessing in between where the points are captured. So that's the old way. Drones. You turn up on site, you buy, obviously, your propeller equipment, which is awesome. You throw one of our GPS devices on the ground, and it's a solar-powered target that figures out its own position. So it's, we make some hardware that actually has that, all the technology that was in that pole, we've put it down onto the ground and solar-powered it. So it's kind of single-button operation. Throw it on the ground, it starts soaking in all these GPS rays, soaking in sun to keep itself charged. You get on an iPad, literally with your finger, you draw around where you want to map, put the drone down, press go. The drone takes off, gets up to about three or 400 feet, starts flying in a lawnmower pattern by itself, right? With the camera pointed straight down, taking all these photos, okay? So we're doing this gridded flight over the site. I'm sitting back. I'm, I'm having a coffee. I mean, I'm watching. I'm following all the regulations, but I'm, I'm generally calm and in an air-conditioned environment. And then the drone lands, you pick up your propeller hardware off the ground, that automatically uploads to our cloud, you drag and drop the drone images onto propeller, and then three to 12 hours later, it takes some time for us to process this model, but sure. three to 12 hours later, you'll get an email saying, your site's ready to go. And you've got a full 3D model that's like within an inch accuracy. So millions and millions of those equivalent points have been captured by the drone and the 50 acres would have taken 20 minutes. You know, the whole thing literally would have taken 20 minutes. So we've got customers telling us, 
what used to take their crews weeks to survey, they can get done in a morning and they don't even need to manage the data. They dump it on us and then it just comes back kind of QA'd and tidy and tight and accurate and ready to be used. So let's use something that I think a lot of people recognize, which is commercial development or real estate development. All of us live in homes or apartments. So we get that concept. Like uh, your average community is probably like 100 acres. Like if a developer built a new community, it's going to be 100 acres. That was the old way of doing it. And they have to survey the land so that it tells them what? That they need what kind of equipment on site, what kind of machines on site. Like what's what does all that information then relate to like their business process? Yeah, I mean, at the most basic level, the land is undulating to begin with. It's it's doing its thing. And when you want to build a development, you need it to be nice and flat. And you need the houses to be built level and you need the roads to drain properly. Right. So there's all these considerations that go into the design phase. And you need to come and do a survey at the beginning and say, what's the shape of the land? What do I need the shape of the land to be? And how are we going to do that? How are we going to move the material from here to here? Okay, these are the machines I'm going to bring on site, some excavators, some haul trucks, some scrapers, some graders, et cetera. There's a whole you know gamut of machines that you can use. And then as the project is being built, you want to frequently survey it so you can get a sense of where you're up to compared to where you needed to be up to. And so that's where you know it used to probably happen once a month or once every three months. Now it's able to happen. You know, people are doing it every day on some of our sites. It's crazy. So I feel like this is something that the people in the construction industry, as soon as they get a demo of, I think I feel like they would instantly understand, know exactly the value prop, and then say, "Yeah, this is something we want to do." Is that the typical like sales cycle? Like this feels like a. It is a no-brainer. Based on your description, it's a monumental change in the way things used to be done. It is. It truly is. And to be honest, as you know, the construction industry gets a lot of heat for not adopting technology, but. You give them something that works and they adopt it. Like, I'm willing to bet there's more drones being flown. There's more robots being used for real work in one of the oldest industries that we know of today, like construction, than in any other industry. It's remarkable how quickly they've adopted it, just like they've adopted iPads on site as their main kind of communication tool. The construction industry doesn't hold back. It's just waiting for good products, I think. (laughs) Makes total sense. I have a few friends that are in construction. They talk to me about how, like, The margins are so thin in construction. Of course, everyone wants to cut their prices down as much as possible. Every mistake is potentially catastrophic in regards to like time, materials, costing, all that stuff. So it makes total sense if you have something that works very, very well, they'll adopt it quickly. I'm curious for yourself, how did you know this industry existed? Like, what was your background? Let her share with your little bit of your background with our audience so they understand how you, and then of course we want to dive in. How did you develop this? So I did not know this industry existed when we started Propel. Let me start with that. Yeah. And the story, like my story is the most naive founding story imaginable, in fact. Like, but, you know, you, you listen to podcasts and they say, start with a problem and kind of develop the solution and talk to customers. We started with a solution. <laughs> I was studying mechatronics at university, which in Australia is essentially a robotics degree. Mm-hmm. And loved the mix of computer science, electrical and mechanical engineering. So that was what the kind of the, the disciplines of the degree that, that that's what it entailed. Loved it, but ultimately wasn't that satisfied with the theoretical approach to the learning. And so started a little club with some friends on campus to sell electronic components to students and then teach them how to build their own robots. So we were doing this kind of on the side and that club ended up making a lot of money because we were marking up all these parts that we were selling um, instead of waiting 30 days from eBay. And we didn't have Amazon Prime in Australia. So people had to wait a long time to get things from China. We were marking those up and selling them on students. And so with all the cash, we decided to pick a hobby each and fund it from the club. And so I picked drones. I was curious and 
just spent literally $10,000 as a student, which is wild, on drone parts from China. <laughs> Started putting all of it together and 3D printing our own drones and, you know, getting into the open source, all the flight control and all that sort of stuff. And then one day I saw a group of people building a drone across from the office I used to work as an intern, knocked on the window and became a co-founder of a company called Flirty a day later, which was building a drone delivery solution. Okay, so, uh, you know, I was... 22, I think at the time, I was halfway through my university, had no idea about anything, was loving working in bars and enjoying my early 20s. And then all of a sudden I was thrust into this startup world as a, as a co-founder of a drone delivery startup where I was the drone guy. You know, somehow that started a drone delivery startup without a drone guy and I was that. Uh, so that, that was kind of where my passion for the technology developed. And then six months into that, I, I, you know, I met Francis, one of the other co-founders and Francis and I ended up peeling out of Flirty six months in. We came back to Sydney and said, someone's going to figure out how to make money with drones. It can be us. Let's, let's have a crack. And so that was it. That was, you know, Propeller had no problem. It was trying to solve. We, we knew about some technology that we thought we believed would be valuable to the world. And we want to try and deliver that. It was more like you were very bullish on drones. Absolutely. At this point, you have no idea what the construction industry needs. You were focused on logistics, robot. It sounds like you were a bit of a reseller, almost like you were you were getting parts. You were set, marking them up, making good money. Yeah. You love drones. You got a passion. Like you just you and your co-founder sit down. Like there's got to be a way to make money out of drones. We just don't know what it is. I was good at drones. I was quite good at drones, and figured <laughs> that's going to be a valuable skill somehow, somewhere, and let's let's create that opportunity. So we got started, and the first idea, you know, we knew drones were doing some mapping. That was in our brain. The first idea was. I'll build the drone. Francis will build the software. He was a more software. I was more hardware. Yeah. Great. We're going to tag team this. It's going to be brilliant. Of course, still didn't know what problem we were trying to solve. And so started talking to some construction companies and they said, hey, we've got some drones now. This is in 2014. We've got some drones, but the data is really hard to use. Make us the API for drone data. We're like, ooh, that's a good idea. And all of a sudden we had a customer. We had a problem. The data was cumbersome. Of course, that meant that we needed to adjust the business. And so we decided, you know, when we heard that feedback to stop trying to build our own drone. So before we hired any staff, before we had any revenue, you know, the drone idea was actually canned. I was, of course, uncomfortable because that was my my baby. So I needed to evolve and, <laughs> and think about sales and marketing and partnerships and those sorts of things and funding. But really, that was that nucleus of an idea. So Propeller like I said, started off with a drone obsession and then that evolved into a, trying to make drone data more simple. As time went on, we learned more about these industries and we obviously got a sense for which industries could afford us and which couldn't, which industries were fast to buy, which were slow to buy. And we kind of, you know, you just always take that path, the path of least resistance and all of a sudden Propeller has, you know, a really strong kind of customer base that's all clustered around earth moving and the thing that we provide them is accurate surveys. And, you know, they do progress tracking with those accurate surveys. And so sort of our place in the world has become very clear, despite the naivety of the founding story. No, that is awesome. So one of the things I'm curious about when you first heard the problem, you know, walking back to that moment, hey, we have drone data, we just don't know what to do with it. Was it survey data right out the gate that they wanted help with? Or was it something else? So there's kind of two tiers of drone data. There's nice visual, nice maps, and then there's survey data. And it's quite easy to make a map. It's quite hard to make survey data. And so I would say we didn't really understand the separation of those two products, and nor did the customers. I think 
there were big marketing teams, even in 2014, saying drone maps are surveys. And that was that was a bit frustrating to work around for us and for the, the end users because they were kind of being sold things that didn't exist. Mm. But ultimately, we ended up trying to tackle that problem ourselves. So the reason we built that hardware device that has the GPS in it was to try and solve the accuracy problem because we thought, we believe, and we still believe, that accurate data is more valuable, right? Accurate data is, you know, gets used for not just that pretty picture, but for business decisions. So we decided to go and solve that accuracy problem. And by doing so, Propeller became sort of part of the survey data club, not the visual mapping club. And so we still do have some tension. I would say the industry still has tension. If you look at Propeller's website, you look at any other drone mapping software website, they're all say the exact same thing. But there are differences in how the solutions are performed that kind of qualifies what kind of data you're going to get. No, that's extremely fascinating. So now you know a problem, you have a potential customer, they distinguish the problem. You know the industry markets one way when the reality, the solution that's most coveted is another thing. You guys are coming at it with, you have drone experience, your co-founders got technical like software experience. What was the game plan to solve this problem? Because there's a couple of things that are coming to my mind as you're, as you're telling the story, which we commonly find about on the show IT Visionaries. One of them is that the problem is usually solved by an outsider. Someone with out domain knowledge in the exact thing typically comes at the problem in a new way that leads to a solution. We see that commonly in this, on the show. I'm curious whether it was being naive or just not knowing, what is it that you guys saw or how do you think you guys approached the problem that allowed you to solve this? Because surely there had to be other companies working on it. They just hadn't figured it out yet. So talk about a little bit. What do you think it was that got you guys the leg up to say like, hey, this is actually how we're going to solve this problem? Because you mentioned that accuracy was the problem, but you also don't have experience solving this yet. Totally. And, and we are absolute outsiders. I have not studied surveying. Um, Propeller has since hired people who are experts at surveying, but but we were, you know, had no idea we turned up on it so i'll tell you the exact story what happened to make a drone map accurate and it's the same to make any map accurate you can even if you're flying a plane over a city you need some points on the ground that you can see that you know the precise location of and so what that normally looks like is a big cross right so across Mm -hmm. the site a surveyor will come out to the site paint some crosses on the ground figure out the positions of the crosses then whenever the maps are produced those Crosses are used to kind of pin the map down to the ground. Does that make sense? It does. Imagine a bed sheet in the wind. You want to put some stones on the bed sheet <laughs> to stop it blowing away. That's kind of the, that's the thinking around this whole concept of ground control. Ground control. You want to pin it down. So we went to a quarry. It was our very first customer. The quarry said, you don't need to worry about accuracy because our surveyor has come out and placed ground control targets on the ground for our previous aerial mapping projects we thought great that's brilliant but this is going to be easy we got there and of course like almost as we got there it was comical one of the big front-end loaders one of the big machines was like dumping you know a whole load of material (laughs) over one of the ground control (laughs) right we're like oh my gosh we got back to the office we obviously did the drone flight we kind of put on a brave face thinking it'll be fine one or two is still visible she'll be right got back to the office stitched the map together and of course we couldn't see enough of those ground control points so we could not make an accurate model We went back to the site, tail between our legs, and we said, look, I know that we said we could make a drone survey, survey data, survey quality data. We can't. We need to do this again, and you need to actually get your surveyor to come and do a really good job of placing those ground control targets. 
And that made us scratch our heads. We're like, why does drone surveying, which is set to, it's not going to replace surveying, it's going to augment surveying. Why does this new technology rely on the old technology to kind of happen successfully? It's, if you're going to call a surveyor out, you might as well just call the surveyor out and get the survey done. Mm-hmm. This just didn't make any sense to us. So we thought, how do we solve the survey element of the drone bit? And that was where that target idea came from. And it was, honestly, we were throwing a Frisbee down in the park, myself and Francis. And we thought, what if we can just put the GPS in the Frisbee and then Frisbee the GPS devices out across the site that land, that soak up their own position, have a little tape cross on the Frisbee and away we go. And that was kind of the thinking that evolved into a product. That product became patented. Propeller sold more than 20,000 of these aero points around the world and they've become the industry standard for getting accurate drone data. I think that was the outsider's approach that you talk about. It was Propeller were, was trying to just provide a simple alternative to traditional surveying, and we did. And now, as a result, we work really closely with surveyors and we kind of work credible in the world of surveyors. Uh, and we help surveyors kind of deliver all this data to their teams and do it in an easy way. And that's, I do, I think you're totally right. It is an outsider's perspective that has ultimately brought accurate drone data to a really wide audience. Man, just think, if you weren't a Frisbee guy, would you have come up with this solution? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, and then, so that was the, that's how the idea came about. And then the first version of it was actually a pizza box. We'd, we'd finished the pizza, <laughs> opened the pizza box, put the electronics inside, closed the pizza box, still a bit of oil, you know, smudged on the, yeah. on the box, put tape and across, across the pizza box, walked out on the field and put it down. And away we went. That's the same. Uh, that's the same piece of equipment that you mentioned before. That's like the sixty thousand dollar thing that's on a tripod. You were like, let's just put it in a pizza box and just stick it anywhere, measure where that thing is, and we'll be able to see it. Correct. And there was some new technology uh, developments at the time that meant it had become much lower cost, but was still a bit finicky to to make work right. And then it ended up being my university thesis. So the idea was conceived, and I did it as my thesis to kind of prove: can we do it in a low cost yet still accurate way? And the answer was yes. And so that became that became the AeroPoint product. And I think that really is a cornerstone for us as a, as a company. So one of the things that, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this story, it's super interesting. You got an outsider's perspective. You've got a new solution. Surely they saw you throwing this pizza box around like, I don't know what these two guys are doing, right? You've already come back to them at one point saying, hey, we had a hypothesis. It didn't work out because, you know, we, we thought we could spot the markers. It didn't work out. What do you think it was about you guys that gave the uh, the customer in this case that that willingness to give you a second chance? My guess is they were like, this problem is so big. Of course, I'm going to give them a second chance because if someone solves it for me, it, it makes my life easier. But you know, it's one of those tough things for especially technical developers, engineers. They have a, often have a hard time like if something goes wrong to ask for another chance. You clearly had to because you didn't get the job done. What do you think about you guys that made the, the, the customer in the skin or potential customer in this case say like, okay, I'll give you guys another chance at your new methodology. What do, what do you think created that decision point? It's a really good question. I think, um, and I, look, I think it comes down to our values. And at the time, these weren't well known, but I think Propeller is an extremely authentic company and very vulnerable. We're very happy to kind of derobe and just become, you know, show our true colors and be honest and be open uh, being open is one of our core company values and so to me i think it was just that candidness with the customers i mean we were wide-eyed and trying to tackle this problem and trying to help them of course and they knew that we were coming from a good place and that they obviously saw some promise in the 
in the solution and gave us not just two chances, actually, um, Albert, many chances after that as well. <laughs> uh, and, and many of our customers have given us chances. But, but honestly, I do think it just comes down to being a, a good human in these interactions and not trying to posture too much and having that. I suppose Australians, I think we have this reputation for being very down to earth. And I think the phrase down to earth suits a company like Propeller because we are down to earth, you know, in, a, in, in what we do for our customers. And that I think has propelled us through some of those tougher situations. No, that makes total sense. I'll add the extra layer then. It's also probably like the fact that this problem had persisted for so long and they probably saw you guys, like you said, if you're authentic, you're willing to admit mistakes and they probably saw you guys moving towards a solution, even though you like you said, you didn't have it right. You didn't have it the second time either. Like it, it, yeah. <laughs> moving towards the solution that gave them hope. They're like, I, I believe in these guys. I think these guys will solve the problem each time they get a little bit closer. And this is still a problem I want to solve because of course, if you're not willing to invest in you, then your problem is just going to stay the same. You're going to send surveyors out to your field for, you know, weeks just to get, get it done. Oh, totally. And this site, you know, I remember the numbers really clearly. They came into our tiny little office and explained how they did things today. And it cost them $7,000 every six months to, to fly a map, a fly, a, a plane, like a proper plane over their work site to get the, the same data of lower quality because it's obviously flying higher and, you know, there's less resolution. So we said, okay, great. We'll do it for half the price and just give us many chances. And honestly, the ROI proposition was enough plus the vulnerability to, I think, see us through some of those storms. So take me through that moment where you had like the groundbreaking event, because there's always that moment where it's like, you finally have built this product, this service, and the customer actually sees value in it. What was that like? Talk about what happened. What, what was the event that they were like, oh man, you guys have figured this out for me. There was one event. I'll, I'll never forget it. So, you know, before Propeller had this composure around earth moving and these industries that we help, we were really a drone data platform for any industry, for any application. Um, and as part of being like the platform for drones, we obviously had a free trial. Anyone could use our software. Yeah. And I remember one day getting a, a help request and, you know, of course we were, everyone was on every, in every team at that point in time. So I'd always, I'd get back to a lot of the help requests myself. Uh, this would have been in 2016, I think. Um, we had a help request from one of our, oh, someone who's now a dear friend of Propeller saying, hi, you know, I'm a product manager at a big company called Trimble. I'm working on the drone division. Can I talk to someone at Propeller? Something along those lines. And so I was like, oh, wow, Trimble's, you know, using our software. They signed up for a free trial. Let's, let's have a chat. And, and I remember this conversation really clearly. But Jim, who is a trained surveyor, and like I said, a very dear friend of the business now, said to us, you know, I've tried all of the solutions online and no one gives me good data like you guys give me. Like, how do you do it? And who is this guy, Tim, that works on your team, who is a wizard of GPS information and just like, what's going on here? And so we had this discussion and got to know each other and sort of, I, you know, went over to the US and met Jim and we went to their big user conference and ended up a year later doing a big partnership with Trimble to produce a kind of version of our software that was able to be resold through Trimble dealers. So they've got these, you know, local resellers essentially all around the world. Yeah. That product is called Trimble Stratus and Trimble Stratus is everywhere. It has really pushed the business forward in a, in a massive way. And so we've got, we owe a huge amount of thanks to Jim and, and the team at Trimble for believing in us, but it really was that moment where we kind of stood out above the crowded, you know, scrappy field 
where someone of the, the the pedigree of Jim was kind of identified it, and and then and then actually we showed him the arrow points, and once he saw the arrow points, he's his jaw dropped. He was like, "Wow, you guys are you guys are on it." So we've worked really closely with Jim and Trimble since, but I would say that was this moment of legitimacy. You know, a fifteen person team out of Sydney partnering with a ten thousand person company to white label our solution and deliver it around the world was was mind blowing. That is awesome. Yeah. When you get a little bit of uh, validations, I guess is the best way. It'd be like, you know, for anyone else out listening, it'd be like, you know, Elon calling you about your battery technology. Like, hey. that, that's kind <laughs> of it. That's actually a really good example because Trimble is the gold standard yeah. for GPS positioning. Surveyors love Trimble. The products are built so well. They're really accurate. So for them to kind of give us the big tick of approval was definitely a moment. That is awesome. So, you know, let's fast forward to where you are today. And more importantly, where will the company go now? Because the business seems to be built on this use case. And then I was curious, how do you see it? Do you see it evolving to other use cases? Do you see something else evolving uh, for Propeller or the new markets you're looking to conquer? Give us an idea of where you see the business moving going forward. Yeah, look, for me, um, we've spent years and years searching for the right family, the right customer base to work with. And we have absolutely found them. So our ICP, our ideal customer profile is really clearly defined through the business. And I do not see that changing. I do not want that to change. I We've all grown really fond of these industries and these customers, um, yeah. the people like that, that we talk to on a regular basis that use our product. So Propeller is absolutely kind of wedded to, to that segment. And really, I see it as a natural evolution of the business. We've gone from being technology focused to being problem focused to being customer focused. And now we've got these customers, we kind of, it's not like we're restricted in our opportunity. It's that we can solve any of their problems. We're curious to solve more of their problems. So I see Propeller as adding solutions, um, adding kind of components to our total solution that makes us more valuable and more useful to our current customers. And, you know, really I see like cross-selling products as a crucial crucial strategy when we're going into this industry because it's notoriously hard to grow through the construction sector, right? Like they're notoriously hard to sell to. So once we've sold to them, it's like, you got to use that and you got to keep selling more things. So what's coming up for Propeller is a whole bunch of new products. Um, We've kind of soft launched a a brand new product, which which doesn't actually require drones. We're putting that same GPS technology that we put on the ground. Now we're putting it on the machines. So as the machines are moving across the site, we're actually going to be mapping in real time and getting all of that data back streamed to our servers and kind of turned into big 3D models. So, you know, we see this drone data is our staple. That's the thing that's, that's, that's the big tent pole of the, of the business today. We're going to add all these other services and these other data products that really bring a whole site perspective to the customers and solve one of their problems. Well, you know, the conversation I'm having with you right now reminds me of a earlier episode I had with GE Digital, which GE Digital is like the arm that makes the computer systems for GE products. And they were talking about like making factories more efficient, making engines, you know, GE is obviously involved in so many different lines of business, but I could clearly, I can definitely see that once you have this data, I can see for Propeller, your company expanding in regards to probably, you know, multiple roles, probably like data scientists being one of them, like people trying to figure out like, what could you glean if you had all this information for the first time? What could you glean? What could you improve? Exactly. What are their decisions that they're making on a daily basis? And how do we power those decisions to be data-driven, not in, you know, intuitive or lower risk or avoiding the rework? You know, you talked about your friend and how hard it is to run a profitable construction business. It is really hard. Yeah. So every little 
sliver helps. Like we're not talking about trying to change industry by 10%. We're talking about a fraction of a percent or a percent. And if we can do that, we've had a huge impact. Yeah. He told me that his product margin on like a major, major construction project will be like 3%. Totally. And if you have one write down, one piece of rework, you know, we heard of a road here in Australia that got built 500 mils, so half a meter. What's that? Probably a foot and a half in the wrong spot. And they had to, because the, the GPS device is calibrated poorly, they had to come back, rip the whole thing up. They're not making any money. Who's measuring that? <laughs> who, who called them on that? That sounds crazy. They're not going to name names on this podcast. <laughs> oh, man. I can see this, though, but I do, I do see your product being used in all different types of industries from film and movie to obviously constructions where you're, I can speak, use in aerospace, but I like that you're so dedicated on it. I'll tell you what, man, your marketing is very clear. From the moment you go, anyone who hasn't checked out Propeller Arrow, if you're in IT, go log on to Propeller Arrow's website right now. It is propelleraero.com. And right out the gate, you get construction, massive construction vehicles, big job site, map and manager. I mean, this is a very good marketing video. Did you come up with this? I mean, we've got a brilliant marketing team. Yeah, yeah. You guys told, I'm telling you, you tell your story in like 15 seconds. It's really oh, it's good. good. Um, I'll pass the feedback <laughs> on. I think, to be honest, marketing is one of those things where, you, just, you know, we're just always reaching for more. We, we believe there's a bigger market out there. It's like, how do we get them? How do we get them? So there's lots of iteration and lots of brainstorming all the time to try and kind of crack the nut harder than we have cracked the nut so far. Yeah, well, I think your this hero video you guys have is a really good because I can tell you that when we did research on you, because we research all of our guests on the show, it did not take long. I know it did not take long for them to figure out what you guys did. A lot of companies, it's like, what, what, like how, what is it? What do they do? Right, we have to do a little homework, a little digging. This is like, oh, this is pretty clear. Yep, drone maps of dirt. That's all we do. <laughs> drone maps of dirt. You use the term earth movers a couple of times too, which is very good. Yeah. Roy, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for accommodating us and schedules. Of course, you're all the way on, the, you know, pretty much on the other side of the world. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Roy, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. Okay. You ready? Let's do it. All right. Do you still make drones for fun? No. <laughs> off-the-shelf drones are much better than anything i can make i make other things for fun what do you make for fun uh i recently built a planter box that was fun so helping in the garden around the house fixing things lots of diy i put some uh, wires over the courtyard so the passion fruit vine can grow over the courtyard yeah, you seem like a DIY kind of guy, so that's awesome. So exactly. So like, if so, if you're if you're got downtime, you're gonna tinker. It sounds like you'll tinker or fix something. Exactly. Right now, you're based in Sydney. Is that right? Correct. Yep, Sydney, Australia. And then you have a U.S. office in Denver. Is that accurate? U.S. in Denver, and then we've got a team in Holland as well, or the Netherlands, and a team in Manila in the Philippines. So about 180 people around the world now. So we know that lockdown restrictions are notoriously tough in Australia. Yeah. You know, are you itching to get back to visiting the satellite offices? I'm itching, stinging for it. And actually yesterday was our first taste of freedom. It was that called our freedom day, but you know, we're not totally free, of course. Um, we're just <laughs> we're now allowed to leave the five kilometers. So the you know, two and a half mile radius around our house. We're now allowed to go through Sydney more broadly because we've hit 70% double double dose vaccination rate. So Things are starting to open up and in two weeks time, 
I'll be able to go camping, which is my favorite weekend activity that's not work-related. You know, isn't that wild that the, anyways, I don't want to get into politics of it, but I feel like camping should be very permissible. In two weeks, we won't be talking about this ever again. And I'm really excited. <laughs> Sounds good. When you go camping, what kind of camping do you do? Do you go full in, like you're all out camping or do you glam camp where you have like a nice trip, like a tr- motor home kind of deal with like a nice bed? Uh, there's, there's been, the camping story has evolved, I would say, as like <laughs> luxury definitely creeps up. Not that. Um, we started off in tents and we were camping all the way as kids. Like our whole upbringing was all camping. So it's a super normal part of our lives. Um, and now I do have a camper van, which I love. <laughs> it's very much bush camping. There's no, there's no niceties, but the van is extremely nice. And, you know, it's not like one of those Instagram vans. It's much more DIY than that, but it, it does get the job done. Listen, I'm all for it. You mentioned tinkering. It sounds like you're a gadget guy. Are you a gadget guy? Do you use a lot of gadgets and gizmos? Are you the first to market for anything net new? I mean, you already mentioned you have blinds that are controlled by your uh, your smartphone. I'm definitely a tech guy. Gadgets, I'm pretty off the whole, like buying buying things doesn't excite me that much, but, but technology does. And so the blinds, what I've done is that when we moved into this house, I did put the, just from Ikea, right? You can get these automated blinds that connect up to the Google and they wind up and wind down on sunrise and sunset. And you can, it, to be honest, it's actually really handy. The only thing is when you're on a podcast, you can't <laughs> open or close the blinds because you can't talk to the speaker. So just that that's really the only issue. But um, yeah, I would say tech guy, yes. Gadget guy, no. I don't have an Apple Watch. I'm Android Android and Windows, I'm a bit of a, a bit off piece in, in those ways. No, listen, listen, I'm an Android. I tell everyone that tells me that they iPhone's better. It's like, I have an Apple computer. So that lets you know that I'm not an Apple hater. But I'm telling you right now, an Android phone does way more things than an Apple phone. My wife has an Apple phone. It does not do what my phone does. I just know I'm weird. I'm just weird. Yeah. I'm going to be weird <laughs> for forever. And I'm, as, I'm even more weird. I, I don't own a single Apple product. I don't hate Apple. I think they make brilliant products. I just don't own an Apple product. And that makes me extremely weird in 2021. Well, I do own an Apple computer, but I do kind of wish I was on your side. But before you go, I got one final question. Since you said you were weird, we got a fun one, okay? If you could describe your personality as a piece of construction equipment, which piece of equipment would you be? Mm, I'm thinking there's, there's kind of two that come to mind. One is the excavator. The excavator is extremely versatile. You can kind of do lots of things with it, right? It's like, it's a bit of, it's a linchpin in the construction team. So I'd like to think I was a bit of a versatile linchpin. That's that's the excavator. Alternatively, there's a scraper and the scrapers are the big double engine things with a big kind of belly in the middle. And they just cruise along a million miles an hour doing all of the bulk earth moving. They're not very precise. They're not very detail oriented. <laughs> they just kind of, they take a 50,000 foot view and just just move a ton of material really quickly. One of those two is, is the sense I get. I like it. Move fast and get the job really w- well done or be really good at doing many jobs well. I can't pick. There's also aspiration. This is very aspirational. I'd say in day to day life, I'm, it would actually look more like an earthwork site. Dirt everywhere, dust. <laughs> I like that. Hey, by the way, before we go, last thing is, uh, you know, excavators. Have you ever seen the people that use excavators to like water ski and stuff like that? Water ski as in to spin around? Yeah. I think I have seen those. Yeah. Yeah. That's very dangerous. Don't do that. 
<laughs> people that put handlebars, like tie ropes to the excavator in their yard, put handlebars on them. Yeah. And then they swing their kids around and it's like a merry-go-round. But Yeah, yeah. That seems very dangerous. I would not recommend that. Not in real life. I haven't been part of it. You could do it all, man. You really can't do it all. Okay. Exactly. Very versatile. <laughs> Rory, thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing the founding story of Propeller Arrow as well as some of the things that you're working on into the future. I mean, I, th- I always view it like this is like, it doesn't matter what space it is. There's probably a massive problem that technology or some innovation can solve. It's just a matter of someone going in and doing it. And I mean, I think you held true to my belief, which is a lot of great ideas come from outsiders because you just, you don't know the constraints or the limitations of the current process. So it allows you to think of new ways to do things. If you've been told for 30 years it must be done this way, then it's hard to think outside that that way. Totally agree. Rory, thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks very much, Albert. Bye.